Welcome to this episode of The Rise After the Fall. It's been an interesting journey to this point. It started out, I think, a little more laser focused in our mind about what it was we wanted to talk about, who it was we wanted to talk to. And then the more we talk about it and the more we think and pray on it, the more we realize that there is a much broader audience, I believe, for this message, but also an audience for people who are in leadership, people who are in ministry, people who do feel the heaviness, the burden, the weight, the anxiety, if you would, of having to lead people through such unprecedented times. Right. It's like we hit the fall Mm -hmm. and not the season. We hit a fall and that fall began March 2019. Is that right? 2020. March 2020, and we just haven't been able to climb out of the fall, or should we say we hit a valley, and us as pastors and leaders and and business owners, we know that, have been in a valley that we've been trying to climb out of, and we thought would be over in a couple months. We thought we'd get back to church quick, six weeks maybe, uh, and then it's just continued, and we're still in a pandemic. It feels like... It's never going to end. Yeah. Honestly. I actually read an interesting article in the Seattle Times yesterday about a a professor and an expert in the field of pandemics who has declared that the pandemic is essentially over, but that we're just living in the memory of it. And then, of course, a number of critics came out, some of whom are from the same university, and they have refuted what he said. He gives an example of the 1918 Spanish flu where in Seattle, it was declared on the front page of the paper that the, the pandemic was over and, and was encouraging people to come downtown, to get on the streetcar, come downtown, come shopping. And so people began to burn their masks and the city was open for a month and then the pandemic exploded again and they had to shut down again. And so they're looking at this man's words and it's a cautionary tale of let's not have it be 1918 again. But to him, he he says everything that's going to happen during this pandemic is over. But for people who aren't struggling with it physically, like my voice is raw right now. I've been ill for a few days, but I, I just went to Canada. So I had to have a non rapid test done. And I tested just a few days ago and I was negative. I have no COVID, but I feel like this is what COVID must feel like. And so when you got in public and, and you cough, or I was, I was on a plane coming back from Toronto and I felt very self-conscious I didn't want to cough. I didn't want to breathe. And so, yeah, to say the pandemic is over, but we're operating in the same fears, yeah. in the same uh, what we're, we're told to think of someone else. The interesting thing about a rise after a fall, typically you're talking about a contained group of people or a leader and the people that surround them. Or we're talking about, we've talked about our rise after our fall, and it was our yeah. marriage. And You can control it in a sense, right? Like if you submit to God, you ask God to control, take my life, all of the stuff. But in this pandemic, we are so out of control. Right. People feel out of control. And it's not just nationwide, it's worldwide. And you talked today in your message about 
The real enemy is Satan. Right. Which is obvious. It should be obvious when you're when you're in the ministry. But I think that the lesson out of this expert's declaration that the pandemic is over, to me, is that even if something is over physically, mm. a number of people will try to make that thing continue to live on in perpetuity in your life, whether that be emotionally or in this example, in a case of fear, like these other experts, they're fearful that we'll then become um, irresponsible with the way that we act. Like we need to be managed. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how it often feels when you're coming out of a fall is that, you're you're being handled or managed. Yeah. Well, and so I want to talk about the coup uh, that we're seeing. We, uh, I guess you'd call it a coup, right? In Canada, the the border agent said, "Did you hear about the trucks driving to Ottawa? How many did he say were there?" He said that there would be f- between thirty and fifty thousand semis that would that would gather upon Ottawa as a sign of protest. And those are from the U.S. as well. Some, yes. Canada and the U.S. So they have formed what, did he call it a coup? I don't know if he called it a coup. Now that you say that, that feels... I mean, to sit in your truck or to be outside your truck, it feels a little different than a protest like we saw a couple summers ago. Uh, There's, you know, been the recently the New York cop that was killed in an ambush, uh, responding to a call. I believe, maybe it wasn't responding to a call. Regardless, he was killed. And the New York, but also the entire United States had police officers come and stand. And did you see the picture yet? I haven't. You got to look it up. It lined the street. I didn't know there were that many people that could make that sea of blue down the street of New York. That's a I don't know what you call that, but they're standing up and saying enough is enough. And the truck drivers are saying, we're in our trucks. Why are you mandating? They're standing up and saying enough is enough. And because we can't seem to overthrow our government, or that doesn't seem very allowable or the right thing to do in the right. U.S., what I I believe we're seeing is individual coups within people's place of business, within churches, uh, you just had a conversation, share that with a pastor who said, yeah, we had a coup this year. Yeah, it was, I mean, a beautiful pastor who had a phenomenal church pre-pandemic. But in the area of the world that he lives in, that they were certainly more Gregorian than we are here in America. We We were shut down for what felt like a long time until you start to talk to people who were actually shut down for a long time. And they weren't able to have church for all for almost two years, or would have been arrested. Yes, yeah, it was crazy, and in the midst of that, he had some longtime members and a couple of key staff members who wanted to usurp his authority. They wanted one of the main staff members essentially wanted to take over the church. And so he gathered some support, a handful. And when I say a handful, I mean a few people, a very small fraction of his congregation began to rise up against him, began to try to push him out. They brought charges against him with his covering body and 
tried to get his credentials taken away. And because if his credentials were taken away, then he, it was unconstitutional for him to pastor the church. And he told me, in 40 years of ministry, mm. I've never gone through anything this painful. And he was right the whole time that he and they found out they did yeah. the investigation of the allegations. Yeah, and he had I mean he had to secure an attorney yeah. to make sure that he didn't lose his job and his livelihood and and the pain that he felt in that and then trying to come back and recover from that and trying to recover in your mind when the people who are closest to you betray you. And I know the people listening to this, that's often the people who do betray you. Because sometimes somebody could walk away from you or they could betray you and they're not close to you so you don't notice. Right. You really notice the yeah. ones who are close. If it's your spouse or it's your kids or somebody in your staff or your team. Mm-hmm. And we've had some of that. We've had some people who are on our team who have just walked away, wrung their hands, threw their hands up and were done with us. And that leaves you with a sense of insecurity. Yes, yes. The, this idea of falling makes you feel helpless. I mean, that's why it's a fear. That's why when people have nightmares, one of the big things that people have nightmares about is falling. Mm-hmm. It shocks you. It mm-hmm. You lose your equilibrium, lose your balance. You lose your ability to be able to keep yourself upright. And so for people who who are in leadership, who have been betrayed by someone, it can be the smallest fraction but it it hurts you so deeply. Just I mean, just even the idea of somebody not liking you, never mind somebody actively trying to remove you from your position. Right. So this pastor, it was the hardest thing he'd gone through, even though the majority of his church didn't believe, didn't turn from him, didn't leave his church. Everything was found out that he was not in the wrong. It was, it was so difficult. I think about, uh, like when you said the a fall, a fall shocks you, but typically then you wake up, right? Yeah. And it's over and you move on. And now it's time to rise, li- literally rise out of bed, yeah. go on with your day, start new every morning. We wake up, oh, still in the fall. <laughs> We're still down in the hole. And yeah. it looked like we had a ray of sunshine, but there's another variant. And so, you know, you talked about spiritual warfare today. And I think that that really ties into this. Uh, but I think about a particular guy that um, we know that him and his wife were going through a challenge, not a challenge, their baby was going to die. Mm. And it's been so hard on them because they've been so worried about their baby. And then the pandemic hit. So then you've got a baby in the hospital, like on the verge of death, needing surgery in a pandemic. And, and what's the coup there? One doesn't want to be married to the other. I look at, uh, I know another nonprofit organization where uh, the people who run the organization just had an employee uprising. What's interesting is it's a nonprofit, okay? So how this nonprofit works, like all nonprofits, is you raise your money. It's not a church where you even have Sunday morning that no matter who preaches, who leads worship? You can continue because the tithes are coming in. No, this is a nonprofit that was founded 12 years ago and ran by by a couple. And so they, we're always going to give examples because you're not, like our listeners aren't going to learn by us be, giving vague, not right. example, but we're not going to use names. Right. Um, but, you know, if it's like, wow, they use a lot of, ex- yeah, it's how we learn. And yeah, you're not going to ever know the names. So this couple started the organization 12 years ago. 
And what they had morphed into is an organization that employed 15 to 20 employees at its height, which right. was probably a year or two before the pandemic. Which is a lot of money to raise. To, yeah, to pay employ- <laughs> 15, 12 to 15 employees across two states. And uh, their job became, about a year before the pandemic hit, their job became completely fundraisers, complete eyes on how do we get in more grants? How do we write grants? How do we meet with donors? Because literally we're, they spent years just hoping they'd have enough for payroll for their employees uh, that they were living, it was like living paycheck to paycheck. But they then, one of them came off the staff of their own foundation because they had, why would you give yourself a raise or any money if you have to go raise the money to give yourself the money, you're gonna get, you're just like just forget it. It's more work than I can handle, <laughs> yeah. right? So they just had an uprising where their employees said, "How dare you? This, 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 this." They don't even actually know all the accusations. And it wasn't anything ethical. No, nope, wasn't moral same. ethical. There is no, there is aren't even allegations of that. Just yeah. basically, we don't like you. How does that happen? And in the end, this le- these leaders spent the last three to four years of the 12 only focused on raising money to pay the seven employees that are left yeah. during the pandemic. And so the coups that that have happened, I mean, the pastors that, if you listen to any podcast uh, for pastors or leaders, they're talking about how is the pandemic affecting you? How is the pandemic, how are you doing now? Like, yeah. are things coming around and you know what? Every podcast I listen to, it's not very rosy. I just went to a conference. Uh, it was a real estate conference because I do real estate now too. And um, it, it it was a analyst, huge conference, all kinds of people because they trust her. They know that she, her favorite website is the U.S. Census Bureau. <laughs> and she also loves all kinds of other weird websites. Anyway, uh, I spent all of the conference and leading into the all of the morning, leading into lunch, and she still hadn't said anything positive, nothing. Wow. And I was like, okay, like you're gonna never have another conference. Nobody's ever <laughs> gonna pay ninety seven dollars a ticket to come listen to you again. You said nothing positive. She had nothing positive to say. So I guess, you know, how do we deal with this, Pastor Sean? When we're talking about, you know, we want to talk about the rise. Right. That's the name of the podcast, the rise after the fall. We want to talk about the rise. But like, what about when you're in a conference and all you hear is negative? You turn on the news, all it is is negative. You talk to other pastors like, dude, like, you got anybody to send my way? I've lost half my staff. Yeah. Like, what do you do when you're in the midst of a fall and the rise seems like it's out of reach? Well, I think it's perspective, number one. Time moves swiftly when you're in success, mm. but it moves slowly when you're not. That's good. Write that down. <laughs> it's why we look back on things and we go, it, it just feels like it. Like you're looking forward to something and then it happens and then it's done. Mm. But it feels like we're in the doldrums forever. Mm. But we're going to look back on this in the perspective of our life and go, it was a season, it was difficult. I'm not making light of it. It is a global pandemic. Sometimes when you're tired of things, you want to make light of them. 
this isn't to be made light of. There's like lots of people who have lost their life because of this. There's lots of people who have been very ill, lots of people who have been orphaned or who have lost the love of their life because of this. So a boy who is in our youth ministry when we were in Tacoma, who, who in the last couple of months has lost both of his parents to COVID. He doesn't have parents anymore. These are beautiful people. They're godly people. They're, they were, his mama was a youth leader for us. She's one of the most beautiful people you'll ever meet. They get to go to heaven, but you have to continue on earth missing them. And so this is a, this is a real thing. I don't want to make light of, a, of this sickness or the pandemic. But I believe that we'll look back on this and it will, it will seem like it wasn't as long as it was because in the midst of it, it drags on. It feels like forever. Like it felt like forever that we weren't in church. And now we've been back for a year and yeah. a month. And But when I look back on how long it was that we weren't in church, it feels like it was longer. Like it feels like, man, we went a year without being in church. It wasn't a year. Felt like it. Felt like it when we were recording messages inside of our house and while we were trying to figure out how we were going to continue to pay employees. And so the thing that's interesting is in scripture, there's lots of valleys, lots of valleys, the valley of dry bones, the valley of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of death. We are walking through a valley of death. But in both of those valleys, God brought life. He brought life to dry bones. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because you are with me. God is with us. And if he's not with you, that's why you're in the middle of a fall. If you find yourself at the bottom, you have to ask yourself, how did I get here and how do I get out? The only way that you get out is by reaching up. And so for us pastors, is it difficult? Yes. But here's what I know. Anytime I've ever lost a staff member, as painful as it was, in the end, it was always a good thing. And I can remain friends with them. I can remain someone who's a spiritual parent in their life, if you would. Or I could be mad. And I could go, well, here's the thing. Nothing ever happens that God doesn't have control over. And so I have fallen in my life. I've fallen more times than I wish to have fallen. And a lot of times, honestly, it was my own fault. In the middle of it, I didn't acknowledge that it was my fault. I wanted to blame everybody else because the devil is a blame shifter. He's a name caller, a finger pointer. And so when we are in rebellion and when we're in sin, we are sons of him. And as long as you live as a son of him, you're going to act like him. You're going to resemble the person to whom you give authority to. And so when we give the enemy authority in our lives, we're going to resemble him. We're going to look like him. We're going to act like him. We're going to talk like him. We're going to respond like him. And so when you find yourself responding or reacting in a way that is contrary to what scripture says, you have to ask yourself, how did I get off track? Right? So we are at war. That's what I talked about today. Mm -hmm. We're in the middle of spiritual warfare. And it's terrible, but living for Jesus is really hard. And well, I wanted you to talk about that, the yeah, wrestling. Yeah, there's gonna be attacks. We're gonna wrestle. That's what Paul says. He doesn't he doesn't say that we're not gonna wrestle. Right. And the part that I really took, and I wrote it in my notes to share with the staff tomorrow, actually, is that you unpacked wrestling. I mean, you talked about when you were in <laughs> high school and you went in. 
and they need to watch the sermon from January 30th, 2022. But you talked about going in there and going, in seven seconds, I tapped out. Yeah. And I was a big football player, yeah. and it's a different type of exhaustion and crazy world. And so to think of it that way, like it's exhausting. You can't catch your breath. Yeah. When I thought of it that way and I thought, I'm in the valley of the pandemic that I can't control or or end on my own. It's wrestling. That's been promised. There's going to be wrestling. I'm going to wrestle against uh, spiritual darkness. The wrestling is exhausting. So, so pastor, leader, you're not alone in the exhaustion. But I think about it, it brings me to this when you were talking about you have to look up when you fall. The only way to get through it is to look up. And I think about a valley. Think about a valley with a, I'm picturing a very steep drop off and we're in the valley. Right. You just talked about it. Shadow of the valley of death. Okay, you're in the valley. Typically, I wouldn't try to climb out of that valley up the mountain I just fell down. In my head, and I think logically, you would, and and when we read the Bible, aren't we seeing it in our human mind in a linear fashion that you go from A, B, C, D, E? So if we're in a valley and at, at point B, I drop off from the mountaintop to the valley, 2020, 2021, now into 2022, looking up and then heading towards the next peak is the answer and there is wrestling and there's exhaustion. But one of the ways I think in which we get through this, and I want you to talk about this, is that why do we want to so bad go back to pre-pandemic? <laughs> and, and I can answer that real quick before you do, because I can tell you why I want to go back to the past and climb back up that mountain I just came down off of because we were blowing and going and growing and doubling and seventh fastest growing church in America, 12th fastest growing church, second fastest growing church in America, three buildings in three and a half years, four years, not even three and a half years, insane growth. Our teams were big. You would walk into our staff meeting and be like, where did all these people come from? Why do we have so many staff? (laughs) You got to know you prophetically ended that because you kept saying, why do we have so many staff? Well, we don't have so many staff now. We're down. We're not half, but we're close to the size of the staff. And we we don't have, no pastor has said, yeah, I'm back 100% pre-COVID attendance. Not one. Um, I'd like them to call us if they did, but it's there's no, we couldn't even ask, well, what are you doing? Because we're doing the same thing we were doing. But part of me thinks if we were on the mountaintop, we hit the valley. I don't want to climb back up to backwards. I want to move forward, which is going to be a wrestle. But why are my expectations what's back on that peak I just came off of? And so some of the answer, in my opinion, is, is trying to figure out what does success or what does metrics or honestly just what does the Holy Spirit want from our church or our organization for 2023, if we get out of this, for the rest of 2022? I think we need to change our perspective on what it is that we want. Mm-hmm. Do, do we want numbers or do we want change? So I don't, I don't want to grow our crowd again just for the sake 
of growing a crowd. I think anytime you become a big church, you do in a little bit of a sense become a destination. Mm-hmm. Like Disney? Yeah. Like it's worth the drive? Or, or like a really good mall or a Chuck E. Cheese for your kids. And I think when we were little and we were in a building that was like 6,000 square feet, And the only thing that we had was a slide that went to the basement where the kids met. And I was always bothered by the fact that kids met in the basement, but there was nowhere else for them to meet. You know, we we didn't have a baptismal tank, so we had to go and get a a big plastic tub from the tractor supply company and cut it off with a sawzall and hope we didn't cut our legs when we got in. I.e., you cut it off. You haven't done that. In many years, those are simpler days, Uh right? But I I remember (laughs) what it felt like to have people lined up down the street walking half a mile to get to the building so that they could hear about Jesus, Mm. right? The thing about being at the bottom is that it gives you a fresh perspective of the slope of the mountain. You can't can't gauge the slope of a mountain from the top because your equilibrium is off, whether it be through altitude or atmosphere, when you look down, it looks different. I had a friend tell me one time, uh, I was thinking about becoming an evangelist and I was afraid to do it. My friend, Terry Allen Mm. said, Hennessy, the net will never appear until you step off the ledge. Well, if I'm at the bottom, I can sure enough see that net and I can see that net's not actually that far. Like if I fall off that ledge and that net is right there, that's not that dangerous. But from the, from the ledge, it looks terrifying. So I think the thing about being at the bottom now, when we look up to the apex or the summit, we realize that the route that we fell down is more treacherous than we imagined. Success success can definitely reveal some things about you. And... I I was disappointed in our service today because only three people got saved in the first service. I wasn't, and our crowd was fine. There's a lot of people there. I thought, where are the people that need Jesus? See, when I was doing church in my house, we had incredible production. We have a great team. We have great equipment. We have all the stuff that any mega church will have. They would come and they would set it up and I would preach off of a teleprompter and I'm good on a teleprompter. You can't tell typically that I'm reading a teleprompter. and I I just have a natural knack for that. And I would deliver a message that was something that our team would go, man, you could put that out on any channel. But the thing that I missed was being able to see people's faces, being able to see people moved with emotion, being able to see people get that aha moment, being able to close the service in prayer and see people raise their hand and give their life to Christ, right? And so then when we came back, I think that we were so in nostalgia for the crowd. I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about on a macro level. Pastors become addicted to their crowds. It's natural. It's a gauge. It's like the PL if you're a yeah. business owner. Yeah. It's euphoric. Yeah. There's something intoxicating about looking out and seeing a big crowd. Of course there is. But too many of us don't get intoxicated by people who give their lives to Jesus to go, bro, we had we had 12 people this service give their life to Jesus. I, think I remember we had a year where we had 1,200 people get saved. 
When did that become common? When did that become the thing that you just, you didn't even talk about it anymore? And yet, yeah, my friend here this last week, we were talking about baptisms and he was like, he was like excited about the fact that, that last year they baptized 62 people last year. And when he said that, I was like, bro, that's so cool. But then he continued on. He said, but here's what's more exciting. We've only been back but a few weeks, and already we've got seven more people signed up for baptism. How many churches are getting excited about seven people? Or how many of them are looking at somebody on Instagram, and they're going, oh my gosh, that person had, you know, they baptized. I mean, I remember seeing somebody talk about on Instagram pre-pandemic that they baptized 600 people in one service. And I was like, man, suddenly the 70 people we baptized last week looks terrible. I remember you saying that. You're like, man, talk about a wet blanket when you go on social media and you were celebrating 70. Yeah, so how do we... (laughs) Well, you had said, and finish your thought, don't lose that. But what you're saying, I wrote in my notes as well today, that when did we become a machine that became that mega church? And we had always said we didn't want the character, and we wouldn't say it this way. We don't want the characteristics of a mega church because we weren't the ones hating on mega. We're like, there's fruit, <laughs> there's people coming, great. But we always wanted to be careful to not take on the characteristics of what people complain about of mega churches. Right. We wanted to be in the lobby. We wanted to be available to the people to talk after the service. Uh, we wanted to follow up with people. We, you wanted to be the one to baptize, that you would do that. Yeah. Um, and so there were, we wanted people to be able to get on teams easily, right? That it wasn't like, oh, we've got too many people. There's really nowhere to serve. Well, I will tell you, all of those things are happening now, post-pandemic. Well, mid prior to the, we were still in the lobby. We were still contacting people. We were still available. You're doing baptism. But we had such massive teams with so many layers of people that you may have never met the pastor that you're serving on their team, and there's three layers of people underneath, and then you come and shadow, but we got enough kids workers, so just shadow, and then that person may not even be needed that Sunday, and they can feel that. Now that's completely different. Isn't that some of the beauty now that we're like, we need you people. We need you to volunteer. We need you to connect with us and us to get to know you. So that machine... Like you said, you know, 70 baptisms didn't seem big. Well, we baptized last week. How many did you baptize? 22. That's a huge win huge. now. Huge. Amazing. But two would have been awesome. But here's what's crazy. Yeah. Baptizing one yes. is amazing. Yeah. That's a huge step for somebody. Like I remember when I got baptized, it was significant for me. I got a certificate and it was like, man, I wanted to put it in a frame. Like it was like a big thing for me. And when I baptize people, I have guys that come up to me constantly in the lobby and they're like, you know, thank you so much. You baptized me at the Brown County Correctional mm-hmm. Facility. And I'm like, bro, like who gets baptized in jail? Mm-hmm. Right. But for you and I, we're entrepreneurs. I think anybody who plants a church, they may not recognize it, but they're entrepreneurs. But the crazy thing about being an entrepreneur is as much as you love starting things, you want to see that thing get established because starting things is hard. Mm -hmm. So when we're in the midst of a fall, the thing about this coming back from a fall, rising again, 
is this idea that now we have an opportunity to start something new again mm. without having to leave to start something new again. Okay. So now we get to restart this. And yes. here's the crazy thing. When people get a divorce, this is what I hear people talk about all the time. Well, I went into my second marriage and I wanted to do things differently than I did in my first marriage. The problem is that they're still the same person. So they weren't fixed. They didn't fix themselves. They didn't recognize the fact that it takes two to tango. That they're, that here's the thing: in a divorce, it isn't the fault. Isn't fifty fifty or sixty forty? It's a hundred hundred, right? So you you're both at fault in some way. And so when you come back into a new relationship, if you haven't fixed the things that were the root cause of why your last relationship failed, then your next relationship is doomed to fail. And so when I'm in the midst of this fall, that we we lost everything as a church, we almost lost the building. We, I mean, it was crazy. When you're trying to figure out how to pay this massive mortgage on this massive building that like in the middle of it, you go, man, I felt like there's nobody here. We almost lost it. And to have thoughts of maybe we want to lose it. And the thoughts that go through your mind, you go, do I, do I really want to come back to that? Do I want to do church the same way? We had all of those discussions. And I think that there's people on here who are having those same discussions or at least have had them who are like, is the way that, is the way that I was doing it in the past, did that even work? Is that the way that I want to continue to do it again? Well, what it does is when you have a fall or a disconnect or something like that, it gives you the opportunity and the option to step back and to look at the things that you were doing that you wished you hadn't done. Mm. And now you get to restart those things, right? So you get to restart them as an organization. You get to restart them as a church or as a business. You get to restart them in relationships. A relationship was damaged. It was wounded. You can step back and you can say, man, I wished I hadn't have done that. So imagine now that that person comes back and they offer you forgiveness. Why would you want to go back and forget the lessons that you learned? One of the great teachers of life is failure. Mm -hmm. We seldom learn in success. It kind of reminds me of a sabbatical like this. If And you said early on, it's a perspective thing. We all as pastors and some business owners who were shut down, we all were forced on sabbatical. We were locked in our house. We played board games. We ate at home. We did everything on Zoom. It's like a forced sabbatical. And what are sabbaticals for? It's to step back it's to refuel, it's to detox, it's to reset. And I love that you said that. We're entrepreneurs if we're leaders, if we're pastors. We just are. And so we don't need to scrap for what's on up that mountain we just came down. We need to look forward. And like you said, reinvent, reevaluate. We've had all the time to do it. And if we haven't taken time to this point to, you know how many times we pivoted? Mm. Our staff, I'm sure, was like, <laughs> seriously, Sonny, enough, enough, Sean, with the pivot. tired of the word pivot. Pivot. I've, I've quit. And then you got to see the Friends episode where Ross is saying pivot. It's hilarious. But pivot is something that I don't hear people saying as often because it's ridiculous. You know, in basketball, you pivot to go the, to get your, Body without traveling to the other direction. Yeah. But you don't go in circles pivoting 80 times. And it <laughs> feels like we've all felt the pivot 80 times. So we're done turning in circles. And now it's time rather than pivot, it's time to, as you said, recreate. And we're going to, we are recreating in this building online with the staff we have. Do you know, you didn't know this, but God told me, this weekend, he said, 
you need to go visit the boards, the like museum picture boards we have on our wall at the church with the staff. Huh. Because there's only one staff member and she's still on sabbatical. Becky for Journey to Wholeness. Wow. I don't even think she'll be here tomorrow. There's no other staff members that have been with us all three buildings. Abby was in attendance, but wasn't on staff. All of our staff, we've been in three buildings, nine years. And all of our staff either came second or third building, but all of our current staff were hired when we were in the third building. They know a third of the reason behind the why. They don't know about the cars parked half a mile down the road and it was icy and cold and people could have slipped in the highway that was busy to get to church in our little tiny building. They don't know that we paraded from the second to the third building. And all of those things are nostalgic. Took our own chairs and put them on a trailer and unloaded them at the end of service. Like those are things that like when you start a business, you don't, you don't remember. Right. Like this is how we rolled the dough because this makes it different. And then, then that person, the owner taught the manager who taught the assistant manager, who taught the new manager, who taught the other. And there is so, you've lost so much. That's so good. That, so we're going through the boards tomorrow. And, and here's the thing, what doesn't matter? It doesn't matter the building. It matters that but there, what we're going to do is we're going to find what were the things we do need to remember and re-implement. Yeah. And what are the things that were just cool, but thank God we're in a massive building now. Yeah. So we don't even have to worry about those things. Like, cool, cool, cool. Okay, but this, this is important. Yeah. This goes into the next the next evolution or revolution. Yeah, and you start to church. think about how many people who are second or third generation to a company mm-hmm. or a church could really even list what that place's mission statement is. Like like Life Church exists to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the people of the 920 and beyond. How many people that's I mean that's ingrained. It was ingrained in, in our them. first generation yeah. staff. But yeah. Back to the article in the Seattle Times, what was so interesting is that the second expert who was refuting what this pandemic expert was saying that the pandemic is over. It's fascinating. He said, I understand that people are emotionally over it, but that doesn't mean that the danger is gone. Think about that spiritually. I understand that people are over this struggle that they're living in their lives. The, like it's been a struggle, this, the pandemic, and it's just revealed things that are struggles to us. I understand that you're over it emotionally, but understand that even when things seem like they've cleared up, the danger is still there. We are at war. With the enemy. We are in constant spiritual battle. And just because it's quiet doesn't mean they've stopped firing. It means the enemy's reloading. Mm. And he's about to fire the second round. And what's crazy is in the first round, he knocked out half your defenses. So you better hurry up and rather than enjoy the silence, you better be working hard to build those defenses back up. And so pastor or business owner or husband or wife or parent, whoever's watching this, who you've gone through a struggle and now it's there's silence, understand that in the silence, there's a reloading happening and we need to get ourselves ready for the next barrage that is inevitably coming our way. And what is it that God's trying to flesh out of us? What perspective is God trying to change as we fell off, as you so 
aptly said, we fell off and now we're at the bottom looking up. What, what route do we need to take that makes it to where we can more efficiently and effectively get back to where it is God wants us to be? I love it. And we won't give the answer because that's for them to ask themselves. I love it. All right. Well, we'll see you on the next episode of The Rise After the Fall. Hi, friends. It's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve, Uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting. We're hosting the betrayed. We're restoring the betrayer. Uh, And so now we have a campus to do that on a, a 20 acre property to do that on as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's 54,000 a month. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him, those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than 54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with 600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction. But what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have $1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground. But I feel, <laughs> this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who after having the money or praying for the money and they get it for something God's having them do, God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation and they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, They gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And someone hanged had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. 
And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land and to give them land they owned. And they basically were given about $8 million from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference and God told us, give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're going to give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're going to give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're going to give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.